out, man! Not the fuzz! I'm not busting you! In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama, episode 244, Mars Needs Moms. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And this is the fifth birthday of this podcast and I've been celebrating a fairly unique way. Hmm. <laughs> welcome to Verbal Diorama. Whether you're a brand new listener, whether you're a regular returning listener who's been here since day one five years ago, thank you for being here. Thank you for choosing to listen to this podcast. I am genuinely happy to have you here for all of these movies that I've covered over the birthday, but for the history of legacy of Mars Me's Moms, which is the eighth and penultimate episode of animation season 2024. There is one more episode, but thankfully, it's nothing like this. Oh boy, this is going to be an interesting episode. I just want to start by saying a huge heartfelt thank you to everyone who's listened to, well, any episode of this podcast, actually, the, the recent episodes for animation season. That started with Wally, How to Train Your Dragon, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, Nimona, The Black Cauldron, Sinbad, Legend of the Seven Seas, and the Emoji Movie. And for the fifth birthday of this podcast, you might have guessed if you've not listened to the other episodes that I'm doing for the fifth birthday, which is Sinbad, Legend of the Seven Seas, and the Emoji Movie, I am celebrating flops. And I don't just mean commercial flops, but I also mean critical flops as well, because that's where the Emoji Movie comes in. But Mars Needs Moms is very, very much a commercial flop. All I could hope is that this podcast isn't going to flop just after his fifth birthday, because that would be incredibly ironic, would it not? Mars Needs Moms was Disney's genuine, earnest attempt at the motion capture craze of the 2000s. This was after Andy Serkis captured hearts as Gergi. Oops. I mean, Gollum. Sorry, that's just a huge mistake. Slight Black Cauldron-based mistake there. If you've listened to the episode on the Black Cauldron, you might know why I accidentally called him Gergi. But I mean Gollum, obviously. Motion capture animation became one thing that Disney didn't have the ability to do. So they partnered with Robert Zemeckis with a plan to invest heavily in motion capture. Mars Need Moms would be the second movie they made together but also the last movie they made together. Here's the trailer for Mars Needs Moms. You didn't eat your broccoli. No broccoli, no TV. Milo, is that broccoli? No, that's vomit, but I understand the confusion. I told you to eat that. Well, you're not gonna make me eat it now, are you? That wasn't a good thing to say. I'm gonna go tell her I'm sorry. Mom? Let her go! Wait! Let me go! I'm in a spaceship! This is so cool! Oh, 
messing with you. <laughs> Welcome to Mars. My name is Gribble. This is Two Cats. What's your handle? Milo. How about I call you my bro? Check it. What is going on? Fact is, Mars needs moms. So the aliens are stealing them from Earth to raise their own kids. <laughs> Who knew mothering was so hard? You're gonna have so much fun here. <laughs> you and me, bro, play video games all day. Ugh, disgusting. I'm just right by my mom. She's the one that feeds me. She vacuums the house. Oh, come on. Are you sure this is gonna work? That disguise totally rocks, trust me. Don't worry, buddy, I gotcha. I pushed the wrong one. Oh my gosh! talks kind of funny, but I think she's trying to help us. Awesome! How do we get past all those Martians? Duh. Firebot blasters! Ah, this thing is going on my Christmas list. Mars needs moms. Ah! Ah! We're going to shoot a laser at someone! You should bring them and change them underwear! A young boy named Minor gains a deeper appreciation for his mother after Martians come to Earth to take her away. Let's run through the cast. We have Seth Green as Milo, Dan Fogler as Gribble, Elizabeth Arnwar as Key, Mindy Sterling as the supervisor, Joan Cusack as Milo's mum, and Seth Dusky as the voice of Milo. Mars Need Moms has a screenplay by Simon Wells and Wendy Wells, and was directed by Simon Wells, based on Mars Needs Moms by Berkeley Brethard. Okay, but the final movie of this fifth anniversary is a movie that Disney have done their very best to remove from existence. It is on Disney+, Plus, so it's not that level of hated. However, I would completely understand if you had never heard of this one, let alone seen it. But to fully appreciate Mars Needs Moms, you kind of have to see it. The Black Cauldron was an attempt to do something different, but unfortunately lost Disney money. Unlike The Black Cauldron, Mars Needs Moms attempted to do something different, but it lost a huge amount of money. In the list of biggest box office bombs available on Wikipedia, and if you adjust that list for inflation, Mars Needs Moms is ninth, with a staggering $130 to $187 million loss. For reference, Sinbad Legend of the Seven Seas, the movie from two episodes ago, is sixth with $199 million. Obviously, that is adjusted for inflation. If you don't adjust for inflation, then they are slightly further down on the list. Berkeley Breathed's book, Mars Needs Moms, came out in 2006 and was inspired by a disagreement involving broccoli between his wife and their five-year-old son, Milo. Breathed had the difficult position of explaining to Milo that his mum wasn't some evil broccoli-wielding monster and asked him how he might feel if he didn't have a mum or what if she was suddenly taken away by Martians. Inspired by his interaction with his son, he sat down that night and wrote Mars Need Moms, a 32-page book which he also illustrated. And it didn't take long for that to find its way into the hands of Robert Zemeckis and Disney. Robert Zemeckis founded Southside Amusement Company in 1984 releasing films in a production deal with Universal Pictures. 
1997, the company rebranded as Image Movers and signed a non-exclusive deal with DreamWorks and released some big-name movies from the early 2000s, including What Lies Beneath, Castaway, The Polar Express and Beowulf. The last two used motion capture, and this was the new big up-and-coming technology used to perfection in The Lord of the Rings and also by Jar Jar Binks. Sinbad Beyond the Veil of Mists in 2000 was the first feature-length film made primarily by motion capture. 2001's Final Fantasy The Spirits Within was the first widely released movie to be made with motion capture technology. In 2006, another Image Movers film, Monster House, was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature. The winner was Happy Feet, also captured with motion capture. Tom Hanks performed as multiple distinct digital characters in the Polar Express, using motion capture technology and also providing the voices. The animated digital characters in the 2007 Bayer Wolf adaptation were partly modelled after the actors who performed their voices and movements. The Na'vi were created using this technique in James Cameron's Avatar, the highest grossing movie of all time. Clearly, this was the area of animation to be present in, and unsurprisingly, Disney wanted a piece of that pie. But they didn't have motion capture experience. And so in 2007, Image Movers and the Walt Disney Company founded a joint venture to produce 3D animated movies using performance capture technology. This was co-founded by Robert Zemeckis, Jack Rapke and Steve Starkey. This new venture was Image Movers Digital. The partnership started fairly strong. On the 6th of November 2009, Image Movers Digital released their first CGI film, A Christmas Carol. And this was based on the Charles Dickens book of the same name, starring Jim Carrey, Gary Oldman, Colin Firth and Carrie Elwes. And reportedly, Walt Disney and Image Movers Digital had a planned release slate, including Calling All Robots, a remake of Yellow Submarine, a Roger Rabbit sequel and The Nutcracker. Obviously, Roger Rabbit is the most interesting prospect in that list. But first, they had this Berkeley breathed book, Mars Needs Moms, with its cute, colourful aliens and tender story about a young boy realising how special mums are. And now Disney had the ability to utilise motion capture. The first time any of their movies would be mocap. It was kind of a big deal. Not only that, this was the second movie they were working on that was set on Mars. How fun, right? People love movies set in space. However, on the 12th of March 2010, Disney and Image Movers announced that Image Movers Digital would close operations by January 2011 after production on Mars Need Moms was completed. But why? What happened to Mars Need Moms that led to Disney abandoning its lucrative new motion capture venture? Well, it turned out that an early screening of the movie didn't go down well with Disney with the studio deciding to part ways with Image Movers shortly afterwards. But it was too late to shelve Mars Neath Moms without costing a significant amount. And it had already cost a significant amount. And it had come with some pedigree attached to it. Not only Berkeley Breathed's book, but also Simon Wells, the great-grandson of H.G. Wells, and most famously the co-director of one of the greatest animated films of the late 90s, DreamWorks' The Prince of Egypt. Wells began his film career by joining Richard Williams' animation, where he served as a supervising animator on Who Framed Roger Rabbit. After the closing of Richard Williams' animation, Wells became a member of Amblimation, a studio owned by Steven Spielberg, where he was director of their only three films, An American Tale, Fievel Goes West, We're Back, A Dinosaur Story, and Bolto. He was also the story artist for Sinbad, Legend of the Seven Seas. And he was offered the director role by Robert Zemeckis in late 2007, 
and Wells agreed if he and his wife Wendy Wells could write the movie. They would pitch two versions, a very small child-friendly version and a slightly more mature version. Three guesses which one Zemeckis actually chose. Actually, three guesses is pointless because it was the matter. Ultimately, the idea for Marsney's Moms was to try and make the world of this movie as photorealistic as possible. Doug Chang, the production designer, had worked on Star Wars in the past, and the team were itching to do another science fiction movie, design robots and spaceships. Wells himself was fascinated by motion capture and what the process could achieve. And to achieve it, they not only needed the technology, but also an expressive actor who could perform the motion capture for the main character, Milo. They chose Seth Green, a 37-year-old man, but whose physicality and mannerisms easily matched that of a nine-year-old boy. He filmed for six weeks and wore harnesses for 85% of the movie for the simulated Martian gravity. But while Green was able to physically embody a nine-year-old, he couldn't speak like a nine-year-old. Despite this, his lines were intended to be used, his voice was included in the first trailer, and his name was prominently featured on the poster. But while he did all the motion capture and voice work, his voice would end up being dubbed by an 11-year-old unknown child actor before release. The DVD for the film does not include his recording as a special feature, and it was widely believed that all that survived of Green's lines are the ones heard in the first trailer. However, the Seth Green audio can be found if you rip the film from the Blu-ray release, as Justin Wilton, aka Cinephile Studios on YouTube, found out. The quote-unquote Seth Green cut of Marsney's Moms can be found on YouTube, and it's fascinating because, although it's clearly not a nine-year-old boy, Green is so much more expressive with his vocalisation. Green's altered role highlights the questions surrounding effects-enhanced movies, where an actor's role is often less defined than in a traditional live-action film. And this is despite the fact that Green himself bears no ill will towards the decision to replace his voice. So, I think we need to address the elephant in the uncanny valley. Because this movie went all out to be as realistic as possible, and Image Movers Digital went to great pains on improving facial capture, rigging, lighting, and rendering as a result of higher resolution, greater polygonal count, and overall accuracy. Image Movers Digital announced a new system called the Kabuki Mask, which blends the video images of an actor from the four helmet cams and projects it onto a 3D polygonal mask, allowing unprecedented access to the actor's facial performance. They paid extra attention to the eyes and mouth, especially eyelids, because while the world's the warm and friendly Earth setting and the cold and clinical Mars setting were photorealistic, the human characters didn't have to be. They wanted lifelike, but not photorealistic. And Mars Needs Moms was full of new technology they simply didn't have access to for A Christmas Carol. Looking at the Mars concept art, they realised that conventional lighting techniques wouldn't work. As a result, they created completely new render-man workflows that heavily rely on point clouds. The majority of light shining on the characters originates from these point clouds, which were also used for the subspray of the skin to create all shiny surfaces, light-filled walls, and the ancient underground. Render times were shortened as a result. They frequently used indirect bounce lighting as their main source of light, running down hallway corridors and getting their illumination from point cloud-based illumination that was derived from the actual strips on the walls or floors. Image Movers Digital embraced 3D to the fullest on Mars Needs Moms, capturing images in stereo before they were even animated. One of the most breathtaking scenes involves Milo's helmet shattering in slow motion. And this wasn't the shot that Simon Wells originally wanted. It was more of a happy accident that the 3D simulation worked as well as it did, even though it took until the last minute to get right. 
The overall message of this movie, though, is so muddled. On the one hand, it talks about the empowerment of the female Martians, but it quickly goes downhill. Since all of the female Martian population is occupied with being leaders, soldiers and politicians, Mars genuinely needs mums. Because no woman can be in a position of power and still have maternal instincts, right? So they kidnap and eventually murder human mothers instead. The Martian men all reside in a group, they have limited communication skills, they paint themselves and constantly hug and dance. And in charge of all of this is a visually unattractive older female Martian who feels that women are stronger than men and that all men should be eliminated. The story explicitly tells us that having two parents is the only way to experience love and that Martians were intended to be raised by two parents. Which is fine, I guess. However, what is the message that you're actually sending out there? What if you're a kid and you have a single parent? What if you have gay parents? What if you live with relatives? What if you're in foster care? What if the way your family is, is simply not represented here? Robert Zemeckis confirmed it during a press junket, stating that, quote, the point of the movie is that you do need mums and dads, unquote. And this movie is frustrating on so many levels because the actual production design is beautiful. And from the end credits and behind the scenes clips, you can see just how much work went into these performances. But the character design is boring at best and nightmare fuel at worst. Couldn't they have made the Martians a little bit cute? But at least being Martians, they don't seal too uncanny valley. But unfortunately, the human characters kinda do, especially Gribble, who looks the most human, but also acts like a completely deplorable one. So I guess that just makes him more human. Although I love to talk on this podcast about the fact that every movie that exists is miraculous, I include Mars Needs Moms in that summation. It is genuinely miraculous that this movie exists, and it's not completely terrible by any stretch of the imagination. However, a committee of people sat in a room and decided to make decisions such as, let's have a movie that's aimed at families where you murder mothers, and let's have a character like Gribble go out of his way to be completely awful to a young boy who's just had his mum kidnapped. That is kind of the level that this movie works on. Marsley's mom's released on the 11th of March, 2011. And there's really no way to sugarcoat this. Disney forecasted the movie opening in the 20 to 30 million range. When tracking showed that it was in trouble, Disney downgraded its forecast. And when it did eventually open, Disney executives braced themselves for a $10 million opening. And even that turned out to be too optimistic. Because on a budget of $150 million, its opening weekend gross was just $6.9 million. Its first week gross was just $10 million. It opened at fifth place behind Battle Los Angeles, Rando, Red Riding Hood and the Adjustment Bureau. It fell to seventh in its second week and tenth in its third. How do you explain to a child that good behaviour could mean their mother gets abducted by aliens? Your kid is never going to want to do the dishes or take out the rubbish ever again. It finished its worldwide run grossing just $39.2 million on a $150 million budget. And that budget doesn't even take into account marketing costs. Now, Disney's ill-fated trip to Mars in 2011 sent ripples through the studio and not just financially. The other Mars-set movie on its slate was the similar box office bomb, but not as bad as that makes it out to be, 
John Carter, which came out the following year. There's a myth in Hollywood that movies set on Mars or movies with Mars in the title always seem to bother the box office, so the studio preferred to avoid any mention of the Red Planet as if it was some planetary curse to have your movie set on or near Mars. This was solidified in 2011 with the release of Mars Needs Mums, and so Disney changed the title of its live-action Edgar Rice Burroughs adaptation of A Princess of Mars, which they'd renamed John Carter of Mars, to simply John Carter, which made the movie sound less interesting and it too, unsurprisingly, completely flopped. So then, The Curse of Mars meant the removal of, of Mars was justified. Of course, this didn't help John Carter. That is episode 15 of this podcast, and that is a similarly interesting story about a movie that's technically a box office bomb, but also technically does not deserve the vitriol that's often levied to it. Now, it's not all doom and gloom, because this movie has 37% of Rotten Tomatoes, so it's not the emoji movie in that regard. And critics did note the technology had improved vastly since the Polar Express, that the cast was solid, but overall felt like the story had been neglected over the visuals. Because for all its technological advancements, Mars Needs Moms needed bums on seats. And unfortunately, it just didn't get it. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you have never watched Mars Needs Moms, I hope I haven't put you off. But I would love to hear your thoughts on Mars Needs Moms. If you have seen it, what do you think of it? Genuinely, if you love Mars Needs Moms, please get in touch with me. Please let me know how much you love that movie. And as always, thank you for your continued support of this podcast. This has been a bit of a fun exercise for me to actually look at movies that flopped. I haven't done that in a long time and I genuinely do love looking at movies like this because it's fascinating to me, the business of Hollywood. Sometimes movies flop and they don't deserve to. Sometimes movies do huge mega business and they don't deserve to. But I've been doing this podcast for five years and I still love what I do. And it's thanks to you people who listen to this podcast as the reason why I carry on and why I've been carrying on for five years. And I hope to continue to carry on on this podcast. But as always, get involved, help this podcast grow. If you do love this podcast and you do love what Verbal Diorama is trying to achieve, then please leave a rating or review wherever you found this podcast. You can find me at Verbal Diorama on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Threads, Letterboxd, and Blue Sky. And you can tell your friends and family about this podcast and about this episode if they really, really love Mars Needs Moms. Now, if you would like an alternative to Mars Needs Moms, then why not find John Carter on Disney Plus instead and watch John Carter? There's a lot of similarities between this movie and John Carter for very obvious Mars-based reasons, but also John Carter didn't deserve to flop at all. There's a lot of good stuff in John Carter and I did an episode on it and that was episode 15 of this podcast. So to finish animation season, technically this was a flop at the time of release, but it's since made its money back. It's one of the most technically beautiful Disney films of all time. And for the final movie of animation season, I couldn't finish with Miles traumatizing children. So instead, I'm going to finish with Maleficent traumatizing children with Walt Disney's classic Sleeping Beauty, a movie so rich in cinematic history and so important to Disney that they centered their whole logo and park structure around the iconic Sleeping Beauty castle. So join me next week for the artistic delight that is Sleeping Beauty. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting this podcast for as long as you have, however many episodes you've listened to. I am so grateful for your support. I'm so grateful for your ears. 
And just by listening to this podcast, you are supporting this podcast. But I do have an amazing group of patrons who support this podcast financially. And I'm so incredibly grateful to them. If you want to get in touch with me, you can. You can email verbaldiorama at gmail.com. You can find my website at verbaldiorama.com. And you can also find bits and pieces that I do at filmstories.co.uk too. And finally, it's not fair. I'll tell you, it's not fair, man. Not fair is when a bunch of scary aliens take your mama, your only parent, away from you in the middle of the night. Not fair is when you follow them and, and you sneak onto their ship and you search, but you can't find her. And then you see her. They got your mama strapped into some kind of machine. So I grabbed a couple of breathing helmets and I went to get her. But I didn't know, I know now, I didn't know that when the sun came up it'd start the machine. I didn't know what that machine was gonna do to her. Not until it was too late. And then I realized I was all alone. I'd never see my mama again. I'd never be able to tell her I loved her. Bye. Movie should know. Movie should talk.